Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. It's kind of buried, you know, and then it, it keeps coming back to haunt me. It, uh, um, uh, we were in uh, Scott Wilson's conference this week and... Um, it uh, came out once again, that, uh, and, and I'm like, really? That was like 15 years ago now, so um, <laughs> a lot has changed. I kind of feel like I'm aging in the, in the matter of uh, Bridget Bardot, and um, <laughs> it's just getting more wrinkly, and uh, uh, <laughs> fantastic. So how is everyone? Are we doing well? Um, as I was saying, um, we were at Scott's conference. Um, it was in Malaga. It was very, it's, it's not a great place to go. Um, and uh, I wouldn't recommend it. And uh, so <laughs> we, were in, we were in Malaga for a few days. Um, just went over there to um, spend some time with Scott and the team, and uh, Pastor Tom Rawls um, and uh, John and um, John Cook. John D. Cook, who are the pastors of Hillsong's Newcastle, uh, and uh, we spent some time with these dear friends. And actually, uh, Andy and Bethany came up to us and said um, that because they're down in uh, Newcastle, spending some time with Adam uh, at his um, his youth uh, conference that he runs for the Methodist Church down there. And then they said on Sunday we want to. We thought we'd check out Newcastle Hillsong, and I went, no way. I'll just give you the phone number of John the pastor, and they're like. No way. <laughs> you know what? It's really good to be connected and to have friends. And like, I'm just giving there. So I said to John, do you mind if I just pass on your details? Uh, and he said, he said, please do. And here's the thing, right? I know now that the pastor knows they're coming, they're going to get taken care of. Yeah. Uh, it's in his interest to take care of them because I'm a friend and he doesn't want bad reports coming back. <laughs> About his church, so I know that they're going to get to him. They're going to have an ama- they're having an amazing time this morning. So we're waiting to find out how it goes. So when we were in uh, Malaga, one of the interesting things that uh, I noticed, um, just um, various places, um, was the amount of families that were together, multi generations that were together. And actually, I think that the the, the concentrate most concentrated place you'll probably find in society where you find a gathering, especially in the summer and during the sort of summer holiday period, a gathering of, of generation together is airports. Because it's it's the most likely place where you all sort of funnel in before you funnel out, isn't it? It's like airports is that gathers people in and spits them out all over the world. And and uh, we were actually um, flying home yesterday, uh, and we were we were in the the queue, um, just uh, waiting to get um, get our bags um, taken off us. And uh, so we were queuing, and we were queuing behind this this family. Uh, there were a number of different. We saw a number of different sort of multi generational families, and but there was this one group in front of us. There was uh, mum and dad, um, two sets of um, two sets of parents, and five grandchildren. Um, they had two push chairs and enough hand luggage for a Russian oligarch. It was like, there was just like this, um, this sort of huge, sort of seeming mass of, of, 
of children uh, and parents and uh, grandparents and, and luggage. And inevitably, they left, they left a hand luggage. It was the funny thing was it was the, uh, grand, it was the grandfather who, who was responsible for two hand luggage, uh, and, uh, but had completely forgotten. And Cheryl eventually grabbed the hand luggage that had been left with us. And uh, <laughs> that didn't belong to us. They all, all moved on, and there's this sort of there's this bag just sitting there, and we're looking at it, and we're looking at them. And eventually, Cheryl, excuse me, is this yours? And they all look at it and go, "It's not ours." And then, <laughs> I mean, it's identical to all their other bags. I mean, it's not like it's an unusual looking bag. I mean, I could see all their other hand luggage, and it's the same make, you know. And uh, looking at it, and eventually, the, the grandfather, it's like. You were supposed to have two bags, and he's looking as if he couldn't even remember from the moment he walked into the airport, he had two bags in his hand. But what it, what it showed to me was the beauty of multi-generation, the beauty of family time. And I think that, that holidays is one of those moments where, where families can get together and, and spend time. And it shows that despite the, the, the stories around the world, uh, the stories in society about the breakdown of the family, actually... When it comes to it, families desire to be together. They desire to be with, with grandparents. They desire to be with, their, uh, with the parents and the children and, and those kind of things. And it's this beautiful thing. It was very lovely to watch just the, these families in, in all their different sort of seem, seeming sort of masses sort of gathering together at these moments to just celebrate a little bit of downtime together uh, and spend time. And it reminded me of the scripture that I was reading during the week in, in Chronicles. Chronicles, and uh, it, was, it would reminded me of the scripture. And, and one of the things that I find in the Old Testament is that as you're reading it through, some of the most powerful things are side notes. Mm, These sort of side note statements yeah. that that kind of says something that leaves you questioning why on earth is that there. And one of those side note statements is in Chronicles, two Chronicles, chapter five, and. 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 12. And this is the story of Solomon. And Solomon has finished building the temple. He's put everything in its place. And he's just setting up the worship team. Uh, and he's setting up the worship team rota, as it were. They're getting their list of songs, the things they can sing, can't sing, what's out, what's new, um, what Hillsong have written, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, so there they are. And... Uh, they um, have got everything written in. It says in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 12, it says, The Levitical singers dressed in fine linen and carrying cymbals, harps, and lyres were standing east of the altar. And with them were 120 priests blowing trumpets. And here's the side note. The, the Levitical singers were descendants of Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and their sons and relatives. And then you're left going, well, who on earth? <laughs> Who's Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun? Who, who are these? I mean, I've never heard of them. And so that in itself sent me on this trail to find out who they were. Because this is clearly an important side note for it to be written in. We've got these singers for the most part. You just have singers with no idea who they are or why they're there. But they, we just assume because they're good at singing, right? That's generally the way it is. People in the band, they're, they're singing because they can sing. 
If you can't sing, generally you will be encouraged not to be in the worship team. Because it doesn't help the rest of us. So, so if you can sing, that's where your, that's where your ministry is based. And so, um, and so you, you kind of feel like, well, surely that's what got them there. But actually, what got them there was Asaph, Heman and Jeduthun. That's what got them there. And so I wanted to find out who these guys were. And so we're going to go back. It's not too far back, but it goes back to 1 Chronicles 25. And it speaks about David and his desire for the kingdom of God and for the setting up of the, of the temple. And David, who was unable to build the temple, has a, has a huge worship team. Uh, and he sets up his ministry and he establishes an extraordinary Framework where David in his kingship and his governance has his generals and rulers and worship team all ministering together. So the governance of his kingdom and the worship of God were hand in hand. Here's an important note for your life, right? You cannot separate your worship of God and the governance of your life. Like the important things like... Like paying your mortgage or going to work or those kinds. You know those general governance things where if you don't worship Jesus, you can often not notice the difference in those areas because you'll just do them anyway. Like you just go to work and you can go to work and not read your Bible and not pray. And it's the same day, really. I mean, sometimes you, 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 you feel necessary that, oh, I need to pray because you've got a problem. But if you've got no problems, the chances are you could go to work and not really notice that God was there or not there. I mean, in your heart, you should notice, but those, just, those are just the normal process things. You, talking, you understand me here. But David does not separate any of those principles. The worship of God in your life, it's critical, should be a part of what you're doing on a daily basis. The two are intimate. They're woven together, inseparable. Does that make sense to you? And so we see here in 1 Chronicles 25, and we're going to read from verse 1. It says, David... And the officers of the army also set apart some of the sons of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, who were to prophesy, accompanied by lyres, harps, and cymbals. This is the list of the men who performed their service. I've really set myself up here because I've got some names I now need to read to you. Uh, and I could sidestep it, but I kind of feel like it, it's important. For Asaph's sons, Zakur, Joseph, that's, that's an easy one, <laughs> Nethaniah and Asarela, sons of Asaph, were under Asaph's authority, who prophesied under the authority of the king. From Jeduthun, Jeduthun's sons, Gedaliah, Zerai, Jeshiah, <laughs> Shimi, <laughs> That's a great name. And his brother, Hashab, Hashabiah. Those, those are two guys you want to invite to a party, aren't they? <laughs> Shimmy and Hashabiah. <laughs> they really got the house moving. <laughs> and Mattathiah, six under the authority of their father, Jeduthun, prophesying to the accompaniment of liars giving thanks and praise to the Lord. From Heman, Heman's sons, 
Bukiah, Mataniah, Uziel, Sheb- Shebuel, Jeremoth, I like these two, Hananiah and Hanani. I think they were twins and they kind of like, they just kind of went, what should we call them? I know. Hananiah, Hanani. They're just, and uh, Eliathath. All right, and the rest. All right, we do it. Let's just not bother. All these sons, all these sons of Heman, the king's seer, were given by the promises of God to exalt him. For God had given Heman 14 sons and three daughters. All these men were under their father's authority for the music in the Lord's temple, with cymbals, harps, and lyres for the service of God's temple. Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman were under the, author- under the king's authority. They numbered 288 together with their relatives, who were all trained and skillful in music for the Lord. We see here this extraordinary generational aspect of what these three men have achieved. And it says of Heman, he was given, he's a superhero from a Marvel comic, and (laughs) Heman has has been given 14 sons and three daughters in honour of who he was because of his service to God. An extraordinary aspect of these men is understanding that as these men devoted their lives to God and gave themselves in service to God, they did so with a generational mindset. They did so not just in the mindset of this is who I am, this is my ministry. And we have conceived in the Old Testament, I mean, there's lots of, There's lots of families or lots of people with ministry who never managed to take their sons and their daughters with them. But these three men, for generations, even after they have gone, have caused, had such an impact on their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren that they're now serving, still serving in the king, in the house of the Lord, still playing the same musical instruments and still prophesying because of what these men did. It has such an impact upon their lives. And I believe that, that the house of God, if it's not generationally minded, is a house that's missed its entire purpose. Yes. That regardless of how old you are, regardless of whether you are young and without children, or whether you, you are much older and had your children we are to be continually and always generationally minded that what we do has an impact on those who are coming behind us. And I want us to understand this morning what that generational mindset involves, how we value the next generation and, and how we understand how to have an impact upon them. While we were away, Cheryl just showed me a uh, an Instagram picture that Bobby Houston had posted of her, of her husband, Brian, and it was a picture of him with his granddaughter sitting on his shoulder. It's a lovely family picture. 
And just they they are having family time. And it's always lovely to see the men and women of God who who we know are under extraordinary pressure, uh, have extraordinary public lives, just having family time. It's a lovely kind of one of those moments in Instagram is you you get a snapshot of some of the the happier moments uh, of people's lives. Can I just make a side note here? Um, When you look at Instagram uh, and everyone's smiling um, and they're happy, they're just showing their happy moments. It doesn't mean to say their life is always wonderful. <laughs> I, I don't show you my miserable moments because it's not interesting. <laughs> and uh, so, but here's the thing. And I said to Cheryl, I said, wouldn't his, Brian Houston's granddaughter be so proud of him? Wouldn't she just be so proud? And Cheryl says to me, she said, I think she probably just thinks this is normal. This is just normal for her. And here's the interesting thing. It's, see, if what we do isn't valued by the next generation, then what we do isn't of value. Is if, if what we do isn't valued by the next generation, then what we do isn't of value. If the next generation can't see and value what we're doing, they don't understand what we're doing, they can't carry it, then what we're doing is miss the point because the kingdom of God is generational. The entire purpose of the kingdom of God, of Abraham and his sons, it was about a generation, it's a generational faith. It's about what we carry has an impact on what, our children carry and our grandchildren carry and, and even those. And we see within the, within the New Testament that Paul rises up as a father. And while he doesn't have children, he's still generationally minded. Yeah. And he becomes a spiritual father to many around him because he knows that what he's doing must be inherited by those who are coming behind him and that they would carry the gospel forward. Yeah. And so we've got to come to this point of understanding how to be generational. Here's the thing, the first thing that we need to make a note of. See, the next generation won't value what you treat lightly. Next generation won't value what you treat lightly. There, um, Scott Wilson, we was, he spoke a message called the shift or the drift. Sorry, not the shift, the drift. He spoke a message about drift and drift The principle of drifting is if we drift from core spiritual principles, we just drift, our our boat drifts away from a teaching on the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, miracles, faith, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. The core fundamentals for for our church. He said, but if you allow a drift, the next generation will just drift further. Because you haven't shown it to be a value. So Are you with me here? Yeah. You don't, you, if you don't value those things, if it allows drift. And, and here's the thing. You see, the next generation won't value it. If prayer, life of worship, just being in the house of God, just being in church. If being in church is not really so important, then your kids are unlikely to inherit that. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, yeah. It's like... Every generation has a choice. I mean, the prodigal son had a choice, right? And so, and so these things are not guarantees that, 
that because everybody has to make a choice. But here's the thing about the prodigal son. He knew where home was. See, at the very least, if you have a general generational mindset, here's the guarantee that your kids know where home is and they come back to you. See, we've got to understand that if we don't consider these things important, then the next generation will let things slip away. If your language is dishonorable, then your children will be disrespectful. Simple principles. We speak value. We speak faith. We speak hope. We speak vision. We speak of things that lift the next generation. We live like champions around those who are watching so they understand what champions are made of. Here's the thing about being living like a champion is that living like a champion is constantly rising in faith when all around you want to disparage and despair in the midst of defeat, right? Now, we all know what defeat feels like. I know what my feet feels like. (laughs) We all know what heartache feels like. We all know. But champions rise up in the midst of it. Champion puts his head above the water when the water is coming over. And this is what happens. In today's generation, we are told that, just, just speaking, but just say what you feel. Cheryl and I were chatting about this in, um, in, in Malaga. We were just chatting away about how you just say what you feel. But here's the thing, right? Once you say the words, you can't bring, bring them back. Yeah. And once you've put words to feelings that are of themselves ungodly, you've given power to that which is ungodly in your life. You with me here? So you can have ungodly feelings, wrestling with them. But if you start putting words, and I don't mean words to yourself, I mean words to other people. Because there's difference. The moment you have words with other people, you find a place of agreement. And with a place of agreement, you have a place of power. And if you get agreement with something which is ungodly, you get a course of ungodly actions working in your life. Hello? So generational mind, those who are working generationally, thinking generationally, speak faith. And here it is. Those who are watching know what you're going through, but are empowered to model greater faith. Empowered to model that which is more powerful. And so we've got to understand that there are those around us watching us, watching everything that we do. If we're able to rise and think generationally, then we can powerfully model a faith which helps people to break through. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. You know what kind of men we were among you for your Benefit. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. You welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. See, what Paul was able to do was teach a generation how to 
imitate, how to model. How many of you remember learning how to write? Just how to get that flow of, of writing. I remember watching my mother writing and just this beautiful flow of words. I remember I had a Sunday school teacher who's a close friend of the family. Um, she still sends uh, children. I think she's, I don't think now once, once you get married, you don't get the card anymore. I don't think, do you, Heidi? The fight, Auntie Evelyn. Oh, do you? Do you get five pounds? Oh, there you go. (laughs) You still get five pounds, Andy. So she's a friend of the family, extended friend of the family. She's Auntie Evelyn to pretty much everyone in the town, actually. (laughs) And uh, and Auntie Evelyn, she's in her 80s, and and she's one of the most just delightful elderly ladies who just full of God and, and joy and, and, and just, but she puts these sins cards to all of the children for whom she get a privilege to call her auntie. Uh, and she just puts a five pound in there. But once you get married, you don't get it anymore. And uh, good reason not to get married. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I can't even remember why we're talking about the handwriting, I already said, Auntie Evelyn, she used to write this, she would write these beautiful, these beautiful, and I remember learning to imitate just the flow, just how to, because the writing was kind of, it was beautiful, and I wanted to imitate that writing, it turned that which was kind of just clunky and, and disconnected into something which had rhythm and beauty. Here it, here it is, if you want to learn the, the synchronization of your faith in life, imitate those who carry that beauty in their heart. Imitate those of faith around you. Learn how to carry that. And see, Paul, he said, just imitate me. You, you know what? You're going to get persecuted. You see, I get persecuted. This is not about living a trouble-free life. This is about living a life that knows how to deal with trouble. This is about bringing breakthrough. It's about having a church that's generational. It's learning how to cause it to inherit, be inherited. Here's the next point I want you to see. That keep the next generation connected to what you do. It's not just parents or adults in church. See what? If a church becomes grey, it's lost its purpose. <laughs> I'm turning rapidly grey. Tom, Tom Rawls walked up behind me and he says, Kevin, you're, you're practically white. <laughs> it's my glory. It's my glory. It's an extraordinary thing. It's amazing how a few years go by and you go from being young to considered... Elderly is probably not the right word. I don't know. Older. <laughs> We're always older, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> You can be four, but if you've got a two-year-old sibling, you're older, aren't you? <laughs> and, and here's the thing, that, that a church must have young in the midst of what we do. We see that Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthoth, Jedu, I've got that wrong. That guy with lots of earth and food, the Jedi... <laughs> We see that what they did was, while they were prophesying and ministering in the house of God, their children were there ministering and prophesying too. Here's the thing. If you want 
your children to be in the house of God, you've got to learn to prophesy and let them prophesy with you. You've got to speak the word of God and let them carry the power to keep speaking it. So that when they no longer have the strength to speak, the next generation is speaking for them. This is, this is, about, this is about the health of, of who we are. It's about the health of the house. I was, I was watching this family and just the vibrancy. There's mum and dad. And at some point, mum and dad just would have been mum and dad and two kids. I wouldn't know whether they had any more children that weren't able to go on, on that holiday. But there was mum and dad. And, and then at some point, one of the things I like to see... Uh, when you watch, see these bigger families, I don't know if you do this as well, but if you see a family group, you spend your time trying to work out who's who. <laughs> so who are the children of the parents and who are the ones married into the... Because it's not always obvious. I mean, one of the things that people do is they often marry people similar, like Heidi and Chaz, right? <laughs> so <laughs> you can see the similarity. It's in the muscles. When we went to, those of you who know Gabby was in Portugal, uh, we went to her wedding in, in, in um, uh, the end of July, and uh, she's getting married to a guy called Ruben. Some of you met him, he came over here. Uh, and she's, she, she's marrying this guy called Ruben, he's eight years, her senior. Now, the only significance about that is that her sister has also married a guy called Ruben, who's eight years, her senior. Now, so you've got these two sisters who've married men, and Gabby, the, I mean, G- Gabby's sister got married some years ago, so they've married men who are eight years a senior called Reuben, but if you see the two Rubens together, you think they're brothers, because they look identical, eh? <laughs> and you've got these two guys who are, and you're looking at them going, what just happened? It's like, how does that even work? And I know that if you see them together, probably people will make all the wrong connections. Like, oh, they must be brothers, and, and the sisters of married, and other people, and those, the, the, the Gabby and her sister, they can't be related because those are brothers. And, and, and so, so I, what I'm looking at when I see this family, I'm just trying to work out who's who. Who's going to, and, and the beauty of that is what you begin to see is what is inherited. Just like, you know, the nose, the family. In our family, it's the nose and the chin. And, uh, and, and what's inherited, but not only that, when you see the social interaction, you begin to see what's also valued. Yeah. Those things which are valued. And when you begin to see those things which are valued, you see those things having an impact that goes through the generations. So it would, it would begin to be something that, that would just be valued amongst the family, the things which the parents have valued will be passed from one generation to another. It begins to have an impact. And we've got to understand that there are, there are the values that we have are inherited from one generation to another. It says in 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you that begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Now, verse 17 is the crucial point. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Let me finish by saying this. We, we, I believe in a church that is youthful, that is generational, 
And you see, if we place value on the youth, we receive honor in the elderly. We place value on those. Many generations have, elder, elderly generations have often spoken, youth are disrespectful. It's a common theme, isn't it? Youth are disrespectful. Well, here's the problem. If, if we, as we grow older, continue to place value on the shifting fashions of what our children enjoy, then in that, they will in, have the ability to honour the generations who have faith in an unshifting God. If you want your children to be rooted in something solid, you help them, you place value on the things which they're enjoying, which they think is cool, which those things they love, their music, their fashion, their, just the, the way, the, the environment around their life. Enjoy it with them. And as you do so, they look towards the source from where this encouragement this identity comes from. And as they look towards that source of identity, they begin to draw from the foundation that we have stood upon. And they begin to realize, that's my foundation too. And so it is that we are a generational church. Amen? We're a church. And this next series that's coming up, I really felt I, I, want, I wanted to minister this because... In all things, the church is generational, but we are a family. Um, We are a family, and we understand friendship, and we are building a home. This place is a home. It's said to us almost every week, people come into the church, and they go, just feel like I've come home. It's one of the most common, repetitive things that people say to us. And I think to myself, well... It's not like we even always have. Sometimes we do, but and we're certainly going to be doing it during the series. Is welcome home. So they have. It's not like we fed the idea to them subconsciously. They just feel like they've come home. They feel like they've come home because they stepped into family, stepped into a place of value, a place of comfort, a place of safety, a place of encouragement, and a place where they feel like they can just kind of space to kind of grow, a space to step up, a space to be what God has called them to be. We've got just like a heap of kids downstairs. In 20 years, 20 years don't, doesn't, trust me, it, 20 years is not a long time, right? It, it, it genuinely isn't. I mean, it, it is when you're looking in 20 years time, but when you're looking 20 years back, it's like, it's, it went like that. Those kids down there will be the generation that is celebrating what we laid out for them here. Do you understand the power of what we do here, the importance? Asaph, Heman, and the great Jedi himself. <laughs> prophesied in the house of the Lord 
and spoke out the word of God and another generation was able to receive it. Let's stand and pray, shall we? Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.